Hey, Kevin Tips here, and I'm so glad that you popped in to listen to this week's podcast. In this message, I share in what I believe is one of the supreme values in heaven, and that is honor. Honor is the operating system within God himself. As the Father has honored the Son, the Son honors the Father. And the Spirit of God is the spirit of honor among them that is actually grafting us into that holy, intimate place in the heart of God. If there is any absence in our broader culture, specifically in the Western world, it is an absence, a shocking absence of honor. And in that vacuum, the church is positioned to shine as we cooperate with the grace and help of the Spirit of God to grow up and into greater displays of honor. So as you listen, I hope you're provoked and inspired to outdo one another in showing honor and perhaps even convicted. Uh, to honor others, honor yourself, and most importantly, honor God more, not only with your words, but through your life. And so I bless you, and I hope that you enjoy this message. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, I'm channeling a little bit of Bob Sorge today. I have, <laughs> I have some gunk, and so give me grace. I'm not operating on all cylinders today, but I love the grace of God that empowers us in and out of season and weakness. I am so grateful that Jesus is our anchor and our confidence, um, our joy, uh, our steadfastness is so rooted in his unchanging covenantial commitment and love towards us. And so it's in that I stand today. I, um, I love that you started in Mark 6. Um, uh, we're going to reference Mark 6 in a different way a little bit later on, but it's perfect. I love how God does that. Um, real quick, before I dive in, I just felt um, this kind of prophetic word. Uh, maybe someone in the room overflow watching. Uh, I just felt like over the holidays, Larissa mentioned, um, it can be just such a beautiful gift, connecting with family, friends that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, but it can also be a, a, a war zone, right? Um, depending on your family of origin and, you know, what's going on in, in your world. And I specifically felt like there were some, uh, some individuals who um, at this table of Thanksgiving were very wrongly accused. Uh, maybe by family that um, does not share your love and faith in Jesus. And there were wrong motives assigned to you and um, critical assessments that weren't true, that things that you were saying were coming from a critical place when you were speaking out of a loving place. And I just felt like the Lord um, prompted me to remind you that blessed are you. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of crazy about you and ugliness and accuse you because of him, for great is your reward. And I just felt like while you were at that table receiving wrong assessments from people with mixed motives, the Lord was there standing as your advocate. And I just felt this little nudge to assure you that he is the one that judges the thoughts and intents of the heart, that he sees where the things that you were speaking and um, were flowing from, uh, and he's pleased in you. And so I just wanted to release that word over you if it ministers to you, um, receive. Um, Jesus's affection. Um, all right, so today, uh, you know, we've been in this vein of um, Michael teaching on tongues, uh, which has been incredible. It's, uh, we focused in on um, this bizarre, weird way that God has chosen 
to um, gift us with the opportunity to edify and build ourselves up in the Spirit. Um, it's such a crazy, weird gift, but I love it. I want to tell you a little, a little story quickly to kind of build your faith before I dive into what I want to share on. And um, it was actually just a couple of months ago, and I was sitting right over here during our um, staff set on Tuesdays, and I was praying in tongues. And uh, for me, when I pray in tongues, it's like a language. I don't typically say the same sounds over and over again. But I've learned through my history with the Lord that when I do, um, that the Lord's inviting me to lean in to receive interpretation, and it almost then begins to function like I'm prophesying over myself. Does that make sense? And so I was over here, and I kept saying this phrase over and over again, and I was like, okay, there's probably something in here that the Lord is wanting to release. And this has happened a few times over the course of my journey with the Lord. And, but what was funny <laughs> was I kept saying this word in the phrase <laughs> was macchiato. <laughs> and, you know, that's a coffee drink at Starbucks. And so I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I don't know about that. I don't know if this is the spirit or my need for sugar and caffeine. I'm not sure what's up. But I've learned from Michael that that's weird. Might be God. Probably is. And uh, so I um, leaned into Holy Spirit sidekick, uh, Google Translate. <laughs> Don't judge me. Y'all have done it. I know you guys have done it. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, I was speaking Italian, which I don't speak Italian. I don't speak any other, sadly, language but English. And I was saying a phrase, macchiato, in Italian, if there's any Italian speakers here, just means stained. Um, and uh, so a latte macchiato or whatever would be stained milk, right? So I was saying stained was one word, but the phrase was, um, I am not stained, I am blemish free. And let me tell you, <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? So <clears throat> I was like, man, this is why I love this gift, because my spirit, in partnership with the Spirit of God, was testifying to a truth that I believe, I know that because of the mercy, grace, and work, finished work of Jesus on the cross, that I am, regardless of my assessment of myself, blameless and above reproach. I am holy and loved. Praise God. That's entirely him. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but it's not something that I would go around just saying, right? And this, the power of tongues to declare the truths of God over our lives, over the situations and circumstances that we may be reluctant to actually say there's a boldness that comes out in what we're declaring in tongues. And so I just wanted to share that um, to stir your faith to keep doing what he's invited us into, which is setting a timer and praying in the spirit. Um, you may not have that experience, and that is okay. It is still edifying, building you up, and bearing fruit, so do it. Um, so in that vein, I was wanting to kind of stick in a similar vibe, but the Lord kind of redirected it. I was um, thinking, okay, we've been talking about tongues and how it builds up the individual, how we build ourselves up in the spirit by praying in the spirit. And I was originally thinking, okay, I'm going to deviate a little bit and talk um, still within the gifts about how we build up the body. Um, and specifically, I was going to hone in on prophecy. I love the prophetic and how the um, Prophetic gifting, <laughs> someone else does too. Uh, how prophetic gifting, when in operation, builds faith and releases destiny and all sorts of stuff. But the Lord um, led me somewhere different. Um, and he said, I don't want you to talk about function. I want you to revisit a value. 
And I said, okay, what's the value? And he said, honor. See, because if we start operating in the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, without standing firmly on the foundation of honor, we could slip into thinking that the gifts are about us. But the gifts are service gifts meant to be used in service to other people. They're not to be exploited for our own platform or ministry to look good on Instagram or whatever. These are gifts that are meant to be offered and extended in acts of service and honor of other people. And um, I wanted to speak on honor. I feel like the Lord shared um, honor as today's message. So um, I gave a sermon, I don't know, it was a while ago now, on hospitality, and it's been really crazy because everywhere I've gone, when I've traveled in places, people come up, and this one message, for some odd reason, is really, really resonating with people. I hear more about this message on hospitality than anything else, and um, what that shows me is that the Spirit of God is stirring us up for more than just arriving once a week in a room or even several times a week, and from this kind of consumeristic thing into really fleshing out our fleshing out our faith in family together. He's wanting to strengthen the bonds of love together so that he can pour out something that only the bond of love can really sustain and hold. And honor is absolutely at the core heart of hospitality. And so it's by no means or no surprise to me that, um, uh, that he has me speaking on honor today. Uh, I want to pray in a minute. I'm going to start with um, reading a scripture out of Romans 12, if you want to turn there, I'm going to reference it again later. Um, but I want to read it just to kind of set the tone. You know, this is what's wonderful. However clearly I could communicate, the most authoritative, anointed thing you're about to hear is what I'm going to read to you. <laughs> because the word of God is powerful. And so if nothing more than just hearing and receiving this word, letting it pierce your heart and change your perspective, lead you into repentance and resurrection. Praise God. So let's pray for ears to hear. Lord, would you give us ears to hear today? Lord, we avail ourselves to your spirit. We ask you to teach us and instruct us into truth. Lord, we thank you that your words are life and spirit. They are substance. Wow, we ask, Lord, that you would, that your presence would rest upon your word. Lord, that as we peer in it together, that we would be called higher, that you would mature us and sanctify us and wash us by your word. We receive you who is the word made flesh. Teach us to live worthy of you, Lord. Amen. Okay, um, Romans 12, it's fam a familiar passage. It's the, um, we are um, uh, living sacrifices. Uh, I want to start in verse, uh, we're going to read a chunk, so stay with me. Uh, we're going to start in verse 3. And I'm reading from the ESV. It says, For by the grace given to me, Paul, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Hmm. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Wow. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy, then in proportion to our faith. If serving, then in our serving. In the one who teaches, in his teaching. To the one who exhorts, in his exhortation. To the one who contributes, then in generosity. We just talked about that. To the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here we go. Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. <laughs> love one another with brotherly affection. I love this part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Pause for a moment. If there is any invitation to some holy competition in the kingdom, it's competing against one another and how much honor we can show. <laughs> I give you permission to be competitive in honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in hardship. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Some of us need to hear that one. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, then give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome the evil one with good. And he just outlined what good is in the previous verses. Um, if there is an absence, a vacuum in our culture, uh, it is an absence of honor. In this environment, we hear about it more than maybe some other communities or environments, but in our country, specifically here in America, we are running at an extreme deficit uh, of honor. Um, you know, I think when I look at the culture that God has established, that the Millers have so faithfully stewarded here, I'm so grateful for the ways that honor has been at the very kind of foundational level of, um, of what has been built here. And yet, though that is 100% true, there is so much more opportunity for us to grow up and into walking out honor together. Um, I think honor, the, the power um, of honor verbally is extremely powerful. Life and death are in the tongue. When we speak and celebrate and honor one another verbally, I really believe that people live up and into what we assign to them. You know, it's the opposite is true. People that grew up in generational poverty or systems of neglect that are told they're never going to be any good and I never wanted you to begin with and you're never going to become something often don't. 
they follow suit, and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when we honor looking past maybe someone's behavior and current state to see in them something that's eternal, that's a value that God himself has put in them, and we actually begin to honor calling forth what isn't as though it were, sometimes we're surprised to find that people actually step up and into the very thing that isn't present yet. And that is powerful when we verbally honor one another. But I want to tell you, verbal honor is the beginning of honor. It is, I don't want to say it's cheap because it can still be costly. It's still powerful. But it is the entry place. It is the surface level of honor. Honor becomes, well, I would say this. Oftentimes I think honor in words can be even more powerful, not when we honor someone who's physically present, but how we honor speaking about them when they're absent. I think that's really when verbal honor becomes the most powerful is how we choose to speak about one another, those that are in leadership over us, our president, our, you know, whatever boss, when they are not present before others who are criticizing them, man, that actually creates a substance of honor that deposits stuff on people in a, in a powerful way. But the goal of honor is not just to let it be lip service. It is to actually step into the sacrificial alignment of acting out honor by preferring one another. That I actually, we have the opportunity to grow in honor to where your needs, your lack, your hardship is my own. That if there is need in your life, hardship, heartache, lack, that I have strength to provide, then it is my own problem. that actually we step into this place of radical preferring one another, that I'm looking after your needs just as much, if not more, so than my own. That is supernatural honor. We cannot manufacture that. We are by nature a little self-absorbed, right? But there is grace available to us to step into this kind of radical, servant-hearted honor. I was talking with somebody recently who travels a lot, and um, has had quite a bit of experience speaking in different, like, ministry schools and different things like that. And in our stream, it was interesting because they were saying, you know, everywhere they have gone, um, there's this, like, and we do it here in USM, there's this, like, display of honor. People are on their chairs, and they're, like, screaming, yeah, and it's uncomfortable. Like, it makes you feel awkward. You're like, sit down, sit down, sit down. And I love that. It's, it is an expression of honor and celebration um, for the person that's coming to deposit something into the students, into the community. Um, but they were saying so often as they've gone and looked, there's this radical verbal explosion of honor, but the moment that person starts to actually teach and speak, people are scrolling their phones at their seat. And I'm like, that's not honor. I don't know what that is, but that's not honor. You know what I mean? And so there's more room for us to grow. Um, Our broader culture, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time (laughs) breaking this one apart because we experience it every day, turn on the news. Um, Our broader culture is addicted, addicted to contempt. There are whole communities, groups, online forums, Facebook threads, help us, Lord, of toxic, seductive contempt. It bleeds out through social media, through mainstream media. It happens around water coolers, in break rooms across the nation. The, 
the issue with contempt, which would, I, I would just define contempt as when uh, we slip into the pride of thinking that our perspective is superior to everyone else's, that we actually see the whole thing and that we're right and everyone else is wrong. And therefore, if you're wrong and you disagree with me, you're my enemy. And the only option is for you to either change your mind to agree with me or get out of my way. And contempt, the, the, the problem with contempt is that it is seductive. Relationships are built around shared strongholds of contempt. Think about, I'm sure we've all, I've, I've been there in previous jobs, right, where everyone hates the boss, right, and you get real close to your coworkers, and you have a whole friendship at work that's now built on your shared despise of your boss, right? Yuck, may it never be with us. We have the opportunity in this vacuum of judgment and criticism, rebellion against authority, to step into a place of shining as the church of God, that we actually shine forth as we honor one another and even the least of these outside of the door, that people would look in, not just by what we say, but by how we live one to each other, that goes, this makes no sense. There are different there's rich people and poor people, black and white and everything in between. There are people from crazy backgrounds and like goody two-shoes. There is nothing that makes sense about why these people walk in such love and self-sacrifice except Jesus who has given all and so we follow suit. I want to tell you there is nothing more attractive. If, if this word on hospitality is vibing, then let me tell you a community built on honor will shine way further, way further. You know, when we, hold on, let me drink some tea. I'm getting raspy. Um, you know, it's funny to me. I was thinking, actually, about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and, um, you know, so out of the eight Ten Commandments, we talk about them a lot, you know. It's like, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Don't, 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 don't. But yet the two commandments that are you shall do these things are the ones that we largely neglect. You shall observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, and you shall honor your father and mother. I think that's interesting. Why do we so put attention and focus on what we can't do and sometimes largely even in the church neglect these two beautiful commands, yes, but gifts of rest and according to the scripture, good long life in honoring our father and mother. And it's because the enemy knows the power in observing these two things. And, you know, we did a whole series on Sabbath. I spoke on it. The Millers both spoke on it. You can go back and find those. I encourage you, if you don't regularly, you know, observe Sabbath, man, you are missing out. It is a gift from God. Um, not always easy, but such a gift. Um, and so is honor. So is honor. There's, um, in Ephesians, Paul says that uh, it's the first command with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and you'll live a long life. Um, okay, so in our broader culture, if there's a vacuum of honor, what is hindering us? Like what does what the battlefield look like that is um, opposing us from stepping up and into this in greater measure? I want to simplify it and simply say that what's opposing us is pride. Now, the tricky thing about pride is this. <laughs> um, it is one thing. It is, uh, it is one yucky, demonic thing. 
but the way pride works itself through lives and hearts is multifaceted. And in some instances, pride causes one to puff themselves up, to make much of themselves. They slip into deception thinking they're more than they think they are. And for another, pride works in insecurity and comparison, shriveling them into far less than they actually are. But both are pride, and both are active um, in our broader culture. And I think it's, a, it's important to n- note that, because it is so subversive, um, but we're getting confronted by it so much that if we're not aware of it and, and consistently presenting ourselves before the Spirit of God saying, search me and know me, see if there's any of this stuff in me, because I want to walk out in a way that represents you rightly and actually steps into the power, dignity, and authority of honor that is available to me. So if any of this is an operation, expose it, kill it, squash it, and resurrect me, because I do not want it. And then we wait by his word and by his spirit, for him to poke around to show us where we're seeing wrongly. And then we come into alignment with the truth. So pride, I see it primarily expressing in two significant ways. And the first is entitlement. Entitlement is simply the belief system, the conviction that I am owed or should already have something that I didn't deserve, refuse to work for, have no place in, it is this sense of pride that's like, I deserve that. It's rooted in envy, which is less about what someone else has and more about the pain you feel for not having it yourself. I learned about how subversive, listen, I love, I love America. I love America. I love my country. I am born and bred American, but I've lived internationally a thousand different places. And much of my 20s, I lived in Australia. And, um, and so this was the first, I was 18 when I first moved, and uh, I was confronted very quickly with how much entitlement was ingrained in my worldview, and I had no idea simply because of the country that I grew up in. And um, I had a friend, Kinga, we went to this coffee shop, and I sat down uh, on, you know, a sofa thing, and I popped my shoes off, and I, you know, sat on my feet, my feet are on the couch, and my buddy Kinga looks at me like, like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, what, you know? And he goes, put your shoes on. This isn't your house. And I was like, sorry, okay, whatever, uptight, you know? I really did think he was uptight. And then, you know, a little bit later on, I was constantly saying like, oh, this toilet looks weird. They're, the toilets are different. They just look different, you know? It's like, this toilet is weird. That thing is weird. Oh, that's weird. I kept saying weird. And finally, King was like, if you call one more thing in my country weird simply because it's not what you're used to, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, it's weird. weird wonderful, you know? Um, <laughs> how wonderful. Uh, but it was this wake-up call that because of my country of origin, there's this way in which I was just groomed and conditioned in the broader culture to be entitled to, as Americans, we kind of do this. We take ownership of everything environment that we're in as if it's our own, whether we worked for it or not, whether it's ours or not, we just kind of do that. And if there's people who did not grow up in America in this room, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so is this, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) careful now, careful now. (laughs) But it's true, entitlement runs under the surface of so much, 
you know, um, social media, advertisement, algorithms. This is all created and sustaining the sense of I don't have it and I should. And how dare you have it and I don't. And it breeds contempt and it robs us of being able to honor what someone else has that we don't have. Because let me tell you, the kingdom isn't all we're the same. There are differences. We just read it. The goal in the kingdom is that we're not all the same. The goal in the kingdom is that we celebrate our differences. Okay. Anyway. The next one, <clears throat> pride manifesting in our culture is comparison. Michael has a sermon that he gave a couple years ago now on comparison. Listen to it if you haven't. If you have, go back and listen to it. Um, not only because it was an incredible sermon, but because the Lord put his, like, thumb stamp of approval on it by what happened afterwards, which was, like, months of revival and travail. And so there was something to it. Um, but comparison is tricky, you know, because comparing ourselves to one another, um, it either can cause us to inflate and think that we're better than somebody else, or it causes us to shrink back and idolize someone thinking that they're better than we are. Um, there's a phrase also from Australia. It's called tall poppy syndrome. It's a social phenomenon. Australia New Zealand's known for it, but it's all over the world. Japan, there's a phrase that says, um, the nail that sticks out the furthest gets hit the hardest, right? It's basically like, don't, don't shine too bright, because if you do, you're going to be cut down and reminded that you are no better than anybody else, right? And so it kind of inhibits um, ambition in a holy way. It can cause people to kind of just keep the status quo for the sake of not seeming arrogant. Um, but the other extreme of that is idealization. We kind of do that in America, right, where we so elevate um, the man and woman of God, or we so elevate the celebrity or the successful business guy or the rich person or the beautiful person, we so elevate them in comparison that we actually begin to shrink in our small thinking, we'll never be like that. I'll never have that. I'll never be anything. And before we know it, our destiny has been robbed because we're comparing ourselves to a standard that's not even ours to achieve. That's not someone else's thing isn't my thing. My thing is God's thing to me, right? Um, and so really all these are boiled down to this like gross lack of humility, right? The power of humility is that it enables us to one, acknowledge that everything about me is um, because of God's design. And everything that I've picked up along the way that wasn't part of his original design, he is as the faithful potter He's got his hands on it, his eyes on it. He's massaging it out of my life, and he's making me into himself. So what that does for us is that it convicts us of not only standing in the strengths, the gifts, the calling, the goodness that we uniquely have, not being ashamed of it, not diminishing it, being grateful for it, and shining. But it also allows us to embrace our holy God-given limitations, now, let me tell you something. You and I have limitations that are God-given, that are not meant to be overcome. They're not meant to be overcome. Why? Because your strengths and your God-given limitations, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about sin habits. I'm not talking about unsanctified flesh. I'm talking about natural limitations. You're introverted or extroverted. You're muscular or you're skinny. You're, you know, good at sports, you're not. There's just limitations that we have that are uniquely our own. And both our strengths and our limitations are gifts to us. 
because God designed us on purpose for what he's called us to accomplish and how he's positioned us to reveal himself. And so much time is wasted trying to fight against a holy God-given limitation when really that thing is meant to show you what the will of God is for your life. And so humility is not being ashamed of limits. It's not being ashamed of successes. It's simply being free from you, being free from me, so that our lives can be of service, service to God and in service to one another. This is the power of humility. The world values wealth, success, beauty, all the things that are fleeting and passing away. It's all going to go. It's all going to burn up. But what if we, as the body of Christ, here's an example. I am, um, you know, we've had people come and worship here, and oftentimes you may not know that they're in the room, but oftentimes because I work here, I know who's here. Um, and there's been very, very prominent people here. Like, A-list celebrities have worshiped in this room, you know? And it's weird what happens. Maybe this is vulnerable, but I'm hoping that you, this resonates with you. It's weird what happens when someone that the world's esteemed and given value, which is honor, is present. You find yourself kind of doing like this. You know, you're just looking at them. You're like, wow, they're so much taller than I thought, so much smaller than I thought, prettier than I thought. I wonder how much those shoes cost. You know, it's like, you're just whatever. You're just, you're very aware that they're here. Why? Because you're assigning them value. But what if we, as the body of Christ, really came into the revelation that the value that we extend to one another in the kingdom is not based on possession, position, success, wealth, achievement, but the value, the honor that we extend to one another is entirely and completely rooted in the work of Christ, that on the cross we see not God's solution to sin, but the extremity of his value for humanity. And we actually step into this place of radical honor where we're looking and we're like, Oh my gosh, the single mom and the widowed dad and the struggling student are in the room. Whoa, you know? And we're aware and attentive and serving and blessing and honoring one another. Could you imagine what kind of delight would rest in the presence of God in a community that harbors that kind of honor? And what kind of weirdness we would look like to the world that comes straggling in because everyone wants to be seen that way. Everyone wants to be taken notice of. Everyone wants to know, am I valuable or not? Am I seen or am I not? And in Jesus, in the cross, we get to look into the eyes of people and go, you're seen. And regardless of what you've done or what you think about you or your assessment of yourself, there is an eternal weight of value that has been placed by an eternal God that you cannot diminish or thwart. It is in there, placed by God's hand alone. And I want to call that sucker out of you. Could you imagine? Man. So honor then begins with God. Our extension of honor begins with him. Honor is the operating system of the Godhead. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operate in mutual honor. The Father honors the Son, has given him the name above all names, given him nations and an inheritance in his bride. He's honored the Son, clothing him in glory and seating him at his right hand. And the Son honors the Father, putting on flesh, 
seeking not his own will, but to, to, to express fully the nature, character, values, ways, and heart of the Father. And the Spirit of God is in the middle, just bouncing like a titus ball back and forth, just this environment of love and mutual honor grafting us into that love affair. Michael always says that that holy huddle, that holy huddle is a honor huddle. It's a, a huddle of honor. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, you know, I think that the cool thing about our opportunity is that, um, and we'll talk through, you know, some ways that we're to honor specific kinds of people. Um, but the beautiful thing is that honor in the kingdom doesn't just work bottom up. It also works top down, that we are a kingdom of kings and priests. And so, though we are called to honor those in authority, those in authority are called to honor the least of these. And it's this circle where all are seen, all are honored, and that's the beauty. It's different in the world. The world just honors up, but we honor down, and that's what makes us different. Um, Okay, so let's talk quickly about um, honoring God. Um, So we see, uh, we've, you know, quoted the scripture in Romans 1 quite a lot. Um, over the course of our 10-plus years here. Um, Romans 1, because they knew God but did not give thanks nor honor him as God. What happened? All sorts of mess. He, let, he gave humanity over. The most extreme version of that that we see is um, in homosexuality. Uh, but there's a whole list of stuff that is listed. Envy, disobedience to parents, um, quarrelsome, gossips. I mean, turn on the news, you're seeing Romans 1. Look around you, go out to lunch today, listen to people's conversations, you're going to hear Romans 1. It's all over the place. Because we as a, commun- as, as a culture have neglected giving thanks and honoring God as God. So what does it look like for us to honor God? I want to give some practical ways. I love our definition. Um, in the house, it's so simple that worship is agreeing with who he is. When the spirit of revelation reveals what's true about God, something we cognitively know, perhaps, but are reminded of in a fresh way, it impacts our hearts and our minds and our affections and our hearts go, yes, that is true. And when we do that together, corporately, agreement, a stronghold is built and it becomes a substance that we receive and um, am imparted by. But I want to propose to you that worship is agreement with who he is, but the fruit of that is the alignment of our lifestyle to what we've now seen. That worship is not merely agreement, but it is ultimately alignment. That what I see to be true of him, I go, yes, that is true. But then that affects everything about how I live, the decisions I make, the planning, the interactions, my relationships, that my life progressively as I'm sanctified by the spirit and the word that our lives begin to become aligned with truth and therefore our lives are worship. We're sacrificial living offerings to him. That's the goal. Obedience to the word of God and willful dependence upon him, right? Willful dependence. When you need God, it's an act of worship. He's not threatened by that. He does not think that you need to do it. That is religion, and it's from the pit of hell. You cannot do it. You can't, but he can, and he's in you, and his power is perfected in your weakness, but he delights in being your ever-present help. He doesn't grow weary of your need of him. So we honor God first with our heart. 
What does that mean? It means that if the issues of life flow from our heart, that we prioritize him as the supreme value in everything, that our value for God, it informs how we invest our money, how we feed our bodies, how we interact with relationships, how we deal with disappointment, how we vacation with our families, the environments we go to and the ones we abstain from, the way we speak, you name it. That our value for God, honoring him in our heart, actually means that everything about life is not separated from him. But everything seeks to reflect, serve, and magnify him. Second, we honor God with our time. Now, we do this morning and a night corporately together. I would hope that we all have, on some level, consistent time with God in his word, morning quiet time, evening quiet time, whatever your preference is. Um, I want to propose something that uh, we don't talk about much, that um, just to throw it out there, take it or leave it. But, uh, you know, there's nothing more valuable than time. It is something that is fleeting and disappearing that we will not get back. And so time is of immense value. When was the last time you positioned yourself before the Lord and just gave him an offering of unproductive time? Not trying to get something done, not necessarily in like fever tongues and prayer, but simply came before the Lord in stillness, in rest, in silence on the inside and said, Lord, I want to give you an offering. I want to tithe my time to you and to sit and just to enjoy him, to be enjoyed by him, to honor him with this precious gift that is constantly disappearing and saying, you're worth this. Whether something comes out of it or not, my heart posture is to say you are worth every breath. And so I'm just conscious and aware that you are here and that this is enough. We sit before the Lord, sowing our time into the one that's most worthy, honoring him in that way. If you don't do that or haven't done that, try it. Uh, We honor God with our talents, right? Our God-given gifts, um, our skills, our education, our life experiences, that all these things are not just meant to be, um, you know, hoarded in. They're meant to be offered and extended. Every, every experience, every failure, every success, everything you've achieved um, is a gift to someone else who's following in your footsteps. Um, and so <clears throat> we honor God with our talents. We honor God with our bodies. We're going to talk about this in a minute in a little bit more detail. But, um, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily discuss God's value for your physical body. But we honor God by how we steward our temple our nutrition, um, our exercise, taking care of the thing that God has made his home this, in this age is important to God. I know we get new bodies, thank God. <laughs> Mine's gonna be stacked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. Um, but just because we get new ones doesn't diminish the fact that he's chosen to live in the one that you have. We honor our bodies, you know, He made your body. He loves your body. Uh, We honor him by how we take care of it and steward it. And lastly, we honor God with our stuff. Um, We just talked about uh, Mark 6. Our finances. If you have a big, gorgeous home and a table that seats 12, 
that you and maybe two others are frequently dining at, have some people over. God gave you that house to be a means of grace for some folks. Your love for cooking, your, your resources, your time, your stuff, like, my goodness, all of it is given to us for the sake of serving one another. That, yes, it's for us to enjoy, right? But it's also for us to extend. The American dream is a lie. We're not happy when we hoard and isolate. We're miserable. It's why a bunch of bald people start buying sports cards and, like, they're trying to claim something. You know what I mean? And, like, achieve and feel special. But I'm like, all that stuff that you work so hard for is to position you to give it all away. That's actually where the joy's gonna come from. In giving it away, it's what God put inside of us. We get to lavish him. Listen, the tithe is just obedience. But we're positioned to honor beyond that. Like Miller said, the whole of $4,000, let me tell you, before he fed the 5,000, before that, at the beginning of Mark 6, you know what he did? He went to a town where he was dishonored. That they said, he went to his hometown. And he's like, is that not Mary's son, the lady that got pregnant by God, you know? Is he not the construction worker? Like, come on. And it said he couldn't do any great miracles there. He healed some six people, which is still pretty awesome and generous. But he could do no great miracles. Why? Because he was dishonored. We see a little bit later, he's in another village. And what happens? He's honored. And everybody eats. So there's something about how we build into dishonor that actually misses out. What kind of crazy multiplication did Nazareth miss out on that others got to reap because they dishonored him? And if that's true of him, how much is it more true of, not more true, but as true with one another? Michael says it all the time, and I repeat it, but it's his familiarity breeds contempt. We have to be really careful with ourselves about how we view those that we are most close to. Because dishonoring them, even if our hearts, if it goes unspoken, all it does is robs us of the very thing God put that person in our life to sow into us. We're the ones that lack because of dishonor. Um, Okie doke. <clears throat> Next, we honor ourself. Uh, Psalm 8. It says that he has made us a little lower than the angels. He's clothed us with glory and honor. Glory is the intrinsic value of God. It can be untouched, untainted, cannot diminish. It is the value that exists, whether we agree with it or not. Um, no, nothing can change or touch the glory of God. Honor is how we then assign and align our value with the value that is present. So we change in that. Does that make sense? And so if he's clothed us with glory and honor, it means we have intrinsic value that's God-given, that's not earned or developed. It's just there by the grace and mercy of God. So how do we honor ourselves? First is through humility. Again, standing in our strengths, but embracing our weaknesses, knowing that where I have lack, you have strength. And that is actually what bonds the body of Christ together, that we get to fulfill um, what was lacking in his sufferings, which makes no sense to me, but the Bible says it. Um, and so humility is a way that we honor ourselves, not overinflating, not diminishing, but simply being free to be who we are and where we are, knowing that God's not finished yet. But second, a way that we honor ourselves is through sexual purity. Um, purity culture 
especially in you know, the 90s or whatever, I'm sorry, ladies that grew, grew up in maybe that, a yoke was put on you that like, it was entirely your responsibility to not look, dress a certain way, do certain things that would cause your brothers to stumble. And it was like this emphasis on don't dishonor your brothers by flaunting your stuff or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's the motivation at all. I think the motivation for purity is honoring myself that I understand my value. So therefore, I'm not gonna prostitute myself out, dress in a way that isn't, you know, benefiting the value that God's put within me. I'm not gonna look at something, absorb something, act in a way, you know, hook up on the weekends because I know that I'm more valuable than that. My motivation of sexual purity is about my conviction of the honor God has placed within me, not even necessarily about dishonoring somebody else. And I feel like that's a motivation. If we spoke to our young people and we just hammered in your value, your value, when you look at, 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 at Gen Zers who grow up in homes where their fathers and mothers are constantly speaking into their worth and blessing them and speaking life into them, oftentimes those people grow up and don't struggle with some of the stuff that others do because they know their worth. And knowing their worth motivates their obedience and abstinence from what would diminish that worth in the eyes of another human being. Okie dokie. Lastly, we honor others. Okay. We read it in Exodus 20. We honor our fathers and mothers. That means our biological fathers and mothers, our adoptive fathers and mothers. I would propose that it extends beyond that to anyone who plays a fatherly, a motherly role, who has devoted themselves to cultivating the beauty that is inside of you, the image of Christ in you that has labored to see that come forth would be a father and a mother. Um, I know we just got through with Thanksgiving, and, you know, it can be tough, and parent-children dynamics can be challenging. I had a very challenging dynamic with my father growing up. Um, But I want to propose something to you uh, that even if, say, your mom and dad don't share your faith, they actually think that you've lost your mind, your Looney Tunes, and a bigot. So often we get stuck in the tension of that moment. But honor is an environment that can actually withstand and hold the tension of disagreement. There is no relationship on earth that is built on 100% agreement. None. All of us, if we break it down, disagree about something. Every one of us. Um, the power of honor is that it supersedes agreement and actually allows us to hold in tension something more valuable than agreeing on everything, and it's love, right? And so um, even if your parents aren't in the faith, you know, it's stilted a little bit, there's still something for you to honor in them and receive from them. Maybe your dad was a meanie and distant and cold, but he was great at investing and stewarding resources. You honor your father, not by constantly poking the Jesus button, but by going, you know what, Dad, you're great at investments. You've been so faithful to steward the resources that I believe God's entrusted to you. I want to learn from you. Help me. I want to follow in this pattern because it's born fruit in you. And I want to walk in radical generosity and provide for my family the way that you provided for me. Would you, would you help me learn? I tell you, that kind of honor 
might just be the very thing that opens the door that then allows you to receive honor and the one that was hostile begins to ask some questions and maybe some conversations happen that bear fruit later down the road. But regardless, honor is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, Fathers and mothers, let me tell you real quick, how we honor them is by asking them good questions, by listening to their answers, and by doing what they've told us to. (laughs) That is how we honor fathers and mothers. Ask them good questions, glean and lean, listen and apply, and ultimately serve. When I was younger, I would show up around a dinner table of a father and mother and blah, 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 as if I knew a ton, right? As I've gotten older, I realize I don't know much. And so I started to learn to ask questions, to listen. Um, That is how we honor our elders, our fathers and mothers, and applying, but also serve them, help, help around the house, clean up the dishes if they've cooked you dinner, um, honor them. And then um, one, this is a side note, but um, there's a lot of rhetoric around um, psychological language. Um, there's a lot of labeling. Oh, that person is a fill-in-the-blank, sociopath, narcissist, blah, 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 especially among younger people. And oftentimes I've heard it assigned to parents If there's a diagnosis, there's a diagnosis. But if you're just slapping a label on a parent because of tension that exists in your relationship, stop doing that. You're not a psychologist. Stop doing that. And even if it's true, what good is, what are you building by assigning that to them when they're not around? Honor them. Speak something else. They might be the most self-absorbed person on the planet, but there's something God-given holy that you get to mine and find Look on that, whatever's noble, lovely, beautiful, dwell on these things, right? Um, Let's stop labeling things. It's just not helpful. Um, I'm going to move really fast through these because we're running out of time. Um, Colossians 3 talks about masters and slaves. Um, That's obviously has a strong cultural connotation here. In the context that it was written, it's not a perfect analogy, But in the context in which Paul was writing this, um, it was more indentured servitude. It was more of like an employer-employee type dynamic. So it's not thinking transcontinental slave trade, right? Um, But it is the language of slave and master. So I just want to acknowledge that. Think of it more as employer-employee. And in Colossians 3.22, going into um, uh, chapter 4.1, it says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people people pleasers, but with sincere love from the heart while fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work wholeheartedly as though working for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. But masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So how do we honor our boss? How do we honor our employees? We honor through our diligence of work, knowing that whether you're making coffee, filling out a spreadsheet, preaching on a weekend, you name it, cutting someone's hair, giving someone a pedicure, that ultimately everything that you do is unto him, for him, through him, by him, because of him, that we get to position ourselves knowing that nothing is too small because he sees everything 
and what's done in secret is rewarded eternally. And so when it's not about the, the snarky client. It's not about the aggressive micromanaging boss. It is about Jesus, the diligence of my work ethic, the punctuality of when I show up, the, the, the extent in which I go to go above and beyond isn't about earning approval, but it's also not about you know, fear of my bosses, whatever. It's about serving the Lord in excellence, in diligence, and in joy. Employees, it's about being gracious. It's looking at the, or employers. It's about looking at your employees, those that are following you, not just seeing how can I get them to get the thing done that I need them to get done, but taking an investment in them, in what's inside of them, in what's going on in their world, just carving out a little space to put a personal touch of I see you and you're valuable. A little I see you, thank you goes a long way if you're a boss of people. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at celebrating people. Ooh, and I've had to work really hard at it. I'm like naturally a gap seer. I'm like a thousand things could be doing really great. There's one thing that's off and I'm like this thing's off. You know, my wife is like celebrate. <laughs> I'm like I'm trying. Um, but it goes a long way. Put a reminder in your phone. Celebrate those that I'm leading. It's a way that we honor through our quality of work and through our celebration of another's achievements. Um, man, this is crazy. First Peter 3, 7 says, basically, husbands, honor your wives um, because they too are an heir of grace with you so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. That's the Bible. I don't know fully what that means, but what it tells me is that when there's dishonor, specifically among spouses, when there's contempt in a marriage, perhaps even extending into other areas of authority or relationships, when contempt is allowed to foster in your heart towards someone else, it actually creates a substance that in some ways prevents God from doing the things that he desires to do and answering the prayers that you pray. That's in the scripture. That's how serious it is. Wow. We honor spiritual authority. It actually says, and I'm not just saying this because I'm doing it, that those who are elders and teachers among you um, are worthy of double honor. So um, double honor. I mean, yes, why? but why? Thank you. Thank you. But why? Why? Because we're going to also incur a stricter judgment. Right? This is a sobering thing. I am always sobered before I get up here. Always. And I always pray before and I always pray after. Lord, I probably will say a lot of stuff that's not necessarily perfect truth. If it's not from your heart, let it roll off their back like water off a duck's. But if it's yours, let it stick, let it rest, let it remain, and let it bear fruit. But I'm very aware that things just pop out, right? And so we incur a stricter judgment, but we're also worthy of double honor. Um, submission, trust, believing the best in how you speak of those in spiritual leadership when you are not or we are not present is, um, it's valuable, powerful. You can feel it when it's not there. You can feel it when there's chatter happening, but you can also feel it when the people that God's entrusted to you pray for you happens so often. I'll be in the thick of it and feeling it. God's there. I'm good. I'm with the Lord, but it's heavy. And this wave will come of refreshment. And I'll just cry and I'll go, thank you. 
Lord, that someone is praying for me. Thank you, Lord. I bless them. I don't know who they are, but I bless them as they've been refreshment to me, and they'll never know it. Refresh them in return even now. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling people that I'm leading to pray for me. Thank you. It's powerful. Um, and then lastly, we, we honor one another through acts of service, not just words of celebration. We honor one another through confrontation. We do. Honor is not just only saying the nice things about people. Honor is also confronting what's hindering love in the life of somebody. If it's healthy and it's holy and you've done your work to like not let it come out like a jab, then confrontation is an act of honor. If we're not being regularly confronted by the spirit, by the word, and by one another, uh-oh. Like we need to mature and grow, and part of that is holy confrontation. It's a great, it's a great thing. And then lastly, mutual preference that we look to one another's needs as, as important as our own, if not more so, um, that we bear one another's burdens truly. Um, okay. Well, if you'd stand with me, um, <clears throat> I'm going to wrap up. It's 10 after, so if you haven't picked up your kids, please do so quickly. But I just want to offer some space. Um, the ministry team will come up in a minute. Um, if we want to have someone play keys, um, I just want to... Um, and just with a little bit of space for inviting the Spirit of God to um, convict us, both of maybe some ways that we have opportunity to grow and step into and repent, but also convict us of where we're doing this well already. It's both and, amen? And so um, if you would just open your hands, and that's just an act of invitation to the Lord to come, that he can have his way. <laughs> and feel free to... Pray yourself. You don't have to just listen to me pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you emptied yourself, that you became nothing, that you put on the form of a servant, that you are obedient to the Father's every desire, even to the point of suffering and death, that you resurrected and you're bringing many sons and daughters to glory. We thank you that we were once lost without hope, Lord. That our image and our value had been marred and tarnished and tainted. But Jesus, because of you, you have restored value to mankind. That you've placed your value inside of us. And we thank you for that, Lord. For those whose histories would say otherwise, where their hearts, their lives, their families of origin have systematically tried to diminish the truth of their value. Lord, would you speak as your blood is speaking a better word? Would you allow them to have ears to hear your assessment as you honor them as your children? Lord, for us, would you empower us now and release grace, Lord, for where we've gossiped and slandered, where we've spoken ill of others, where we've built up strongholds of contempt and accusation where we have partnered with the one and only enemy, the accuser of the brethren by joining our words and lips with his. Lord, we repent and we ask you for mercy and forgive us. Would you wash us with your word, Lord, and would you put words of life? We rise up and for those any that we've called a curse, we rise up in this moment in the presence of God and we say, we, you are blessed. We release blessings blessing over our enemies. We release blessing over our accusers. We release blessing over those who have harmed and hurt us. 
and we release them to your care as judge and king. Lord, would you deposit a plumb line in us of honor that empowers our service, that informs our speech, that defines how we think about other people and think about ourselves and think about you.